All right. Well, good morning, church. Good morning to those of you watching online and at Midtown, Downtown, South Tulsa, Owasso, uh, DuPage, and Egypt. Uh, if you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know that we've been in a series called I Love My Church. And uh, in this series, we've talked about all the things that we love about our church. And so we started off talking about how the church is to be on offense, right? We're to go get people and to bring them in and how we have the keys to the kingdom and we're to use those keys to help usher people into the kingdom. And then we talked about we are family, right? How we do life communally, both in rows and in circles and in groups, but we're to invite people into the family. We always want to bring people into the family with us. And then last week, we talked about one of the primary purposes of the church, which is to share the good news with people, right? And so we heard that because God gave, we have, and we're to take that message wherever we go and let people know about the good news of Jesus. And so today, we are wrapping up I Love My Church, and we're going to share three things with you. We're going to talk about the Word, we're going to talk about prayer, and then we'll talk about worship. And so I'm going to share with you about the Word today. So you might as well turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. That's where I'm going to spend most of my time. Uh, David Robbins is then going to come, and he's going to share with you about prayer. And then Ashley Osborne will come, and she'll talk with us about worship, okay? So if we're going to talk about the Word, there is no better place to start than the word, right? And so look at me, look, look with me at 2 Timothy 3.16, and here's what it says. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. And I love that passage because right from the beginning, it's so rich, right? That first word, all, it gives us a sense of, uh, in the original language, it's each piece at a time or a piece of a group. And so with that understanding, you could read the passage this way, each and every single word of scripture is God breathed, okay? And God breathed, in the original Greek, it literally means God breathed or the breath of God. And so in the Greek, it's theonoustos, so theo from the Greek word for God, theos, and then noustos, which means breath or breathe, so God breathed. And then the root word for noustos, which is nuo, you can hear a couple of really familiar words to us. You can hear the word pneumatic, right, which are those really powerful air tools that they use to put your, your wheels on your car, so when you have a flat, you can't blow the lug nuts off with dynamite, you know, those tools. And then you also hear the word pneumonia, right, which is an illness of the lungs. It affects the way you breathe. And so if you've ever had pneumonia or bronchitis or asthma, you know how that makes you feel, right? You can't get, you can't get enough breath, and so you're lethargic. You can't operate the way that God designed you to operate. You just can't get enough breath, okay? And then there's something else that affects the way you breathe as well, which is altitude. And so my uh, sister and brother-in-law live in Denver, and uh, we got to spend some time with them this summer, and we really noticed the difference in altitude. You know, Tulsa's about 700 feet above sea level. Uh, Denver's about 5,000 feet above sea level. And so if you're doing anything strenuous, like hiking or walking up the stairs, putting your pants on, you, you notice the difference in altitude, right? You, you can't do the things that you normally could do with, with, without feeling fatigued and tired because you can't, can't get enough breath, right? So altitude affects the way we breathe. How many of you have ever flown on an airplane before? Okay, yeah, quite a few of you, but there's quite a few of you that haven't either. And so, you know, at the beginning of your flight, they do this uh, safety announcement, the safety briefing, where they tell you uh, what to do if all the air gets sucked out of the tube that you're flying in. And so, uh, well, I'll tell you what, rather than me trying to describe it to you, let me have an expert come out and demonstrate it for you. 
If the cabin loses pressure, quickly reach for the nearest mask and pull down firmly to start the flow of oxygen. Put the mask over your nose and mouth, slip the elastic band over your head, and tighten by pulling on the straps on either side. Breathe normally. Always put your own mask on first and then help children or others near you. All right. Thanks, Sheila. So I, I love that last part where they says if, you, if you're traveling with small children, put your mask on first and then pick your favorite child and put theirs on, right? <laughs> and so you, you, you know in that, in that briefing, they don't talk about what to do if there's a fire. You know, that'd be extremely bad if you're on a plane in the air and there's a fire. They also don't talk about how to get off of the plane if there's some kind of emergency, which would be great to know as well. You know, they focus on that one thing, breathing, because they understand that breathing is key to life. If you're not getting enough breath, you're not going to be able to function. And then they also tell you to put your mask on first because they understand, hey, you have to help yourself first before you're going to be able to help anybody else. If you can't breathe, you can't help someone else breathe because breathe, lack of breath, it holds you back. Breathing is really key to life. And so church, I wonder how many of us here today are oxygen starved when it comes to the word of God. How many of us need more breath, the breath of God in our life? So you might be feeling confused about what's going on in your life. Maybe there's some things that ha are happening that you don't really understand. Perhaps you need more of the breath of God in your life. See, when we read the word, when we meditate on the word, we're taking in the very breath of God. It's like taking this oxygen mask and taking deep, lung-filling, life-giving breaths. See, when your body has enough oxygen, it operates the way God designed it to operate. You're able to do the things that you were born to do. What happens for us as believers when we get the very breath of God in us, when we're getting enough of that breath? Well, Scripture tells us. Look with me in Job 32, 8. Here's what it says. It says, but it is the spirit in a person, the breath of the Almighty, that gives them, that un gives them understanding. And so the breath of God brings understanding into your life. If you've ever had the breath knocked out of you, you understand what a terrible, terrible feeling that is, right? It's, you, it's, you're panicked because you can't breathe. And usually some kind of trauma causes that, right? You hit something, something hits you, and you understand what happened, but you don't understand what's happening because you're trying to breathe and you can't get a breath. But what you understand is, if I don't get to breathe very soon, I'm gonna die. That's how you feel, you're so panicked and you don't understand what's happening. You know, if you've ever played sports, you, you, you've probably had that happen to you before, right? And usually what happens is you're on the field and uh, you can't breathe and you're gasping like a fish trying to get a breath of air. They roll you over on your back and then uh, this part always, I don't understand what's happening here, but they grab the waist of your pants and they, and they pull up on it and you're like, bro, the problem's up here. It ain't down there, right? So someone can explain to me later why they do that. But, but if that's ever happened to you before, you know what that's all about. But you don't understand what's happening. And it's like that in the lives of a lot of believers. The circumstances of life may bring some kind of trouble or trial into our life, right? Or perhaps like in our airplane illustration, you're cruising along through life and suddenly you find yourself in the midst of trouble or of chaos and you, you don't understand what's happening. You don't understand what to do. And if you don't understand, you, you have no way of knowing what it is you're supposed to be doing. You know, I talk with people frequently who tell me, Dean, you know, there's this thing going on in my life, and I know God is trying to use that in my life, but I don't really understand what he's trying to do in that moment. 
we all have moments like that, right? If we're honest, where we're, we're thinking, God, what, do, what are you up to? I wish I knew. I wish you would just tell me, right? Send me the burning bush. Give me the handwriting on the wall and let me, let me know what you're about right now. But in those moments of doubt, right? Let me just encourage you, church. Just keep breathing. Breathe deep from the very breath of God, his word. See, the breath of God brings understanding, but it also brings life to us as well. In uh, Genesis 2-7, it says this. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God formed man, but he wasn't fully alive. He wasn't able to be all that God created him to be without the breath of life. And that's that same breath of life that breathed out scriptures for us. It's that same breath of life that's available for us today. In Job 33, 4, it tells us, the spirit of, the God, spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. What gives life? The breath of God. What gives life to us? Scripture. God breathed scripture. See, when we open the Bible, we find over 750,000 words breathed out by God himself for us. And it was the breath of God that gave that first man life, and it's the breath of God that continues to give us life today. See, Jesus understood this. If you look at his life and his ministry, what we see is that Jesus not only believed the Bible, but he ordered every step and detail of his life according to Scripture. In John, we see a picture, it's John 19, 28, of Jesus on the cross. And what scripture tells us is that Jesus knew that everything had been accomplished and that the scriptures had been fulfilled before he declared it was finished, right? All scripture had been fulfilled about him before he declared it was finished. And then how do we know that Jesus believed the Bible? Well, we can, we can look at a picture in scripture as well there. If you look at to Matthew 19, it's a big chapter, so we're not gonna show everything, but uh, we see Jesus being grilled by the religious leaders of his day about marriage and about divorce, right? And Jesus says to them, God said that a man should leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. Now, Jesus is quoting Genesis 2.24 there. If you look at Genesis 2.24, you won't see the words, God said. You won't see the words, God commanded. You can look at the verses before Genesis 2.24 and you won't see them either. You can look before, behind, you will not see the words God said. What you see are the words that the divinely inspired human author wrote. You can search all you want, but really you don't need to see those words because here's what you need to understand. Jesus believed that what scripture said, God said. Jesus believed that all scripture is God breathed. You know, A.W. Tozier has a great quote about the Bible. He says, the Bible is not only a book that was once spoken, but it's a book that is now speaking. What's the Bible speaking to you? Listen, it's the very breath of God. Church, let's stand together as we worship with the word of God. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts you. And together, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful together. 
For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Amen. You guys can be seated. Hey, let's thank Dean Johnson for bringing that word. Amen. Amen. Hey, not only is the word of God uh, a spiritual discipline that fuels you as you advance in your journey with Christ, but prayer is part of the equation as well, and it helps you advance in your journey with Christ. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Alex uh, spoke out of Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, he shared that in the holy place, the holy of holies, uh, in the temple was where, from the Hebrew perspective, God dwelt. It was literally the place that the Hebrews believed that God's presence was manifest. And if you missed that, you'll want to go back and listen to it. But he also talked about the tabernacle, which was that tent of meeting uh, prior to the building of the temple, and how it traveled with Israel during the days of the Exodus, and, and that was also the place where, where God dwelt. And uh, what we need to understand about that is that is where God had relationship from their perspective with, with his people. It was the place of sacrifice, it was the place of prayer, it was the place of connection. And then after the Hebrew people entered the land of promise, the building of the temple, that permanent dwelling place uh, under Solomon's leadership, and it spared no expense, it was the place uh, where the, the, the people of God met God on a daily basis. And so from the time of Solomon on, the temple was the focal point of, G of Jewish national life. But over time, the people began to drift away from that focal point, and the people began uh, to, to do things. They would live however they wanted, and then they would run to the temple, and they would they would treat it like some kind of a lucky rabbit's foot, and they would proclaim the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And, and what they were saying was, it was just our safe place. It wasn't a holy place. It wasn't a place where we really connected with God. It was a place where we felt safe. I don't know if you played the game of tag when you were little. We all did, I think, back when we didn't have electronic devices. But we, we had this place called base, right? And so we would be out running around crazy, and about the time we thought we would drop dead, we'd run to base, and there we felt safe. We felt so safe, by the way, that we would trash talk all of our friends, you know, and we would say, yeah, you can't catch me. Well, you can't catch me when I'm close to base. And that's kind of what the, the, the people of, of Israel would do. They would live however they'd want, and they'd go back to base, and they would say, I'm all safe. But, but that temple, that place where God dwelt, was where people connected with God. And you know, that's what prayer is really all about. Prayer is about connecting with God in an intimate conversation. Say the word conversation. Conversation. You see, oftentimes we think that it's just a download, but prayer is an intimate conversation. And in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus was on his way to the cross and he walked through the temple courts. And this encounter is listed there. He said, Jesus went into the temple courts, 
and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those selling doves, and he declared to them, it is written, my house, this temple, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Corruption had come to the holy place. Money changers and sellers of doves had made the temple a place of gain. They, they cheated and they defrauded. They took advantage of the poor. The, the poor were purchasing those items of sacrifice and articles of sacrifice at an enormous price. They were, the, the, the money changers were robbing people under the guise of religion. It would be like if, if, if in our bookstore, please don't send us emails and say, you've made the place of God a temple of the den of robbers. That's not what it's talking about. It would be like if we had the bookstore out here and we said, hey, in order to come into the holy place, you need to purchase a Bible. And the Bible that we sell out here is $100 when you can buy it for $10. They, they were perverting the place of the temple. They, they were creating uh, this perversion in the place of the temple. It was intended to be a place of prayer. It was intended to be a place of connection with God, but it was being perverted. And so the question that I have for you today, the question that I have for myself today is, is your temple a place of prayer? Or have you perverted the temple? And you say, David, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. That's weird. What kind of cult is this? I don't have a temple. Well, yeah, you are a temple. You are the dwelling place of God. Uh, the scripture says, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he wrote, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are the temple of God. As a believer, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Your life is the dwelling place of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When you ask Jesus to be your savior, he stepped into your life. And you can meet him every day and anywhere you choose to meet him. And so the question is, how do we make our temple, our lives, a house of prayer where we're connecting with God on a regular basis? And then that leads us to advance in our journey with Christ. And so I've got two questions today that will help you advance in your prayer life. It will lead you to a deeper experience with God. And that will not only impact your life, it will impact your family's life, it will impact your community group, it will impact your church, and it will impact the world. And so the first question that I have for you is this. It's a really a simple question to ask, but it's a hard question to answer. Am I available? Am I available? Do I approach prayer as a conversation? Do I approach prayer ready to listen? Do I approach prayer with margin and with time? Or am I too ready to just dominate the conversation? Am, am I ready to rush into that time of prayer? Am I ready to rush in and whatever posture I have, hit my knees or, or stand, eyes open, eyes closed? It doesn't matter. Do I run into that intimate time with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords just wanting to dominate the conversation? Or do I have time and do I have margin to have a conversation? And you, you may say, well, you know, I, I have the conversation with God that I was taught to have. 
You said it's maybe a long time ago a mentor or a parent or a pastor or a youth pastor taught you how to pray. And he taught you how to do this. Taught you how to spell acts, A-C-T-S, on your fingers. And as you do that, you pray. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't hear me wrong. That's a great place to start in your prayer life. And for those of you who may not be familiar with that, it's kind of a simple model. It's a memory device to say, I want to pray through the, the word acts. And so A stands for adoration. And so in my time, my prayer time with God, I, I adore him and I, I, uh, I lift his name high because he's majestic and, I, and I'm so grateful for who he is. And so I, I spend some time adoring him. Then the C would be confession. And that's where I agree with God that the sin in my life is sin and I call it what it is. And I ask for forgiveness. And then the T is thanksgiving. And so I thank God Maybe I thank him for some things that I've taken for granted or I thank him uh, for things that are evident in my life. And then, and then the S of Acts is supplication. And supplication is basically where we bring our requests to God and ask him for those things that we need. That's a great starting point for prayer. But if all we ever do is spell Acts on our fingers, I think we're missing the, the point of having an intimate conversation for, with our Heavenly Father. It, it, we're missing the point of, of settling in his presence and listening from his heart to our heart. And let me illustrate it this way. So, so how, would it, how would it work out if, if in my most intimate relationships, the only conversation I ever had was ACTS? And I, and I didn't really fully invest in that conversation, and I didn't really engage and listen and interact with the, the people that I love the most. Let, let me just take my wife, Shannon, for example. What, what happens if, if I rush home at the end of a busy day, and I, I slide in, and I skid in, and I, I take a deep breath, and we sit down, and I, I say something like this. I, I run inside the house, and I say, oh, Shannon, you are completely awesome and so breathtakingly beautiful. I fall at your feet in adoration. That's actually a pretty good start, right? Yeah. It doesn't get better, though. And I say, that's adoration, right? A. And I say, truth is, Shannon, I've failed to keep up my end of our marriage agreement, and I lusted after a woman. Please forgive me. Thank you, Shannon, for your kindness in this moment. Thank you for everything you do for me. Now can you please make sure my sh shirts are pressed and the grocery shopping is done because I have my fantasy football league draft this weekend. Okay, gotta run. I would be a dead man. And if I wasn't a dead man, I would be in a dead relationship. And, and listen, your relationship with God is not intended to be a dead relationship. It's intended to be a living, growing relationship. And in order to do that, you have to be available. And so it's time for many of us to, to ramp up our availability in order to have a growing prayer life. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, let's get creative with your availability. Your schedule's as full as mine, right? We have busy schedules. Get creative with your availability. Turn off the radio in your car. Have a conversation with God and listen to him. Stay off the phone while commuting. And have a conversation with God and listen to him. At dinner time, gather the family around. Put down the technology, easier said than done, and spend some time praying around the table. Yes, you can pray with your eyes open in between bites. And then you can ask your family, hey, what's God saying to us about this issue? And lead your family to listen to what God is saying. 
and take time to listen to the voice of God. Availability is spelled T-I-M-E, time. But not only the question of am I available, but secondly, I grow in my prayer life when I, when I ask and answer this question, am I willing to sacrifice my desires for God's desires? Am I willing to sacrifice my desires for God's desires? Sometimes the reason we don't advance in our prayer life is because we feel like God is not responding to what we've prayed for previously. And we neglect our time with God because we feel like we just don't know what's going on. And sometimes the silence Sometimes the silence is hard to accept. In fact, it's so hard to accept that we reject his silence, or we reject his not yet, or we reject his no, and instead of seeing the situation from a position of maturity, we see it through the perspective of a child. God's silence, listen here, God's silence may mean that he has a better yes tomorrow. God's silence may be that his no, his no may be our, our protection. And his wait, not yet, may be for our provision. And it's our responsibility as mature followers of Jesus Christ to stay connected in prayer. To stay connected in prayer. Do you pray out loud or do you pray silently? I don't know if anybody's ever asked you that before. If you pray silently, there, there, there are things that happen in the dynamic of that, that that you are less aware of. I would encourage you to pray out loud. Praying out loud gives you the opportunity to hear your own words that express the trust and confidence that you have in God. Because you're not only praying it, but you're hearing it. And God works through that dynamic. Confessing your trust in God is an admission of your limited perspective. You, you should write that one down. Confessing your trust in God is an admission of your limited perspective. And we all encounter seasons of life where we have a limited perspective. On December 29th, 2014, my mom was killed in a head-on collision on a highway just outside of Anita, Oklahoma. The impact of that wreck was brutal. A Ford F-250 pickup hit her little Kia at highway speed. And she died instantly. Uh, Shannon and I viewed her body at the objection of the funeral director, and I'm really glad that none of our other family members were as stubborn as we were. And, and in, this, in this season, I have zero understanding, almost two years later, I have zero understanding of why my mom died and why she died that way and why she died in a horrific accident. I've asked God hundreds of times. I've asked him humbly to just share with me, God, why and what are you trying to teach? But I still don't know. I don't know. But in a conversation with him, I've come to the place where in spite of the pain, in spite of the disappointment and in spite of the grief, God's good. He's a good, good father. And I trust him in the silence. Confessing my trust in God is an admission of my limited perspective. And one of the ways that I do that is I sacrifice my desires to his desires. 
and you say, God, I'm going to ask you for something, but I, I want you to know that I'm willing to obey no matter what the answer is. I'm willing to sacrifice my desires for your desires. Would you pray with me? Some of you are here today and you say, hey, David, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a connection with God. I don't have a, a way that I connect with him. I don't talk to him. I don't listen to him. Well, your first step is to trust in him as Savior and Lord. And so I want to help you with that. If, if you're here today and you say, I, I am not a child of the king, I, I want to give you the opportunity to cross from death to life. And you can do that simply by praying a prayer. It's not the words of your prayer, but it's the attitude of your heart and the repentance that takes place there. And you say, you want to do that today. You can just pray phrase by phrase after me. Just say, dear God, I know that I've sinned and I'm far from you. But today I want to trust in you as my savior. Today I turn from my sin and I place my faith in you. In the best way that I know how, Jesus, I give you my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. And before we say amen, we, we wanna do something different right here in the middle of the service. We wanna help you come to the altar. We wanna help you come to the altar and surrender. We wanna help you come to the altar and say, Lord, I'm available like I've never been available before. We want you to give you the opportunity to come here and pray individually or as a family and say, God, I wanna sacrifice my desires for your desires. We want you to come to the place of surrender so that you can advance in your journey with Christ. So as Seth leads us, would you stand as we sing the song, Come to the Altar? And then will you do just what that song says? Come to the altar. Down before him, for he 
Father's arms are open wide Forgiveness is bought with the precious blood of Jesus Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful that we can come to you. And God, we kneel before you today and we surrender to you. So God, as we continue today, I pray that you would just uh, speak, Father. God, may your spirit come here today. We welcome you here. And we pray this together in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. You can have a seat. Can we thank David so much for teaching us today? So we've heard about the breath of life through God's word, and we've heard about what it means to surrender to the Lord, to trust him in prayer. And I just wanna spend this last part of our service today talking a little bit about what it means to worship. And so on the pathway to spiritual growth, what does it mean to worship? We're gonna be in John chapter four, so if you wanna turn there, uh, I wanna tell you about a story that I read in the Chicago Tribune a few years ago. And and it's probably one that you've heard before. It's not an uncommon uh, human interest story, uh, but it was about a woman who found the image of Christ in a potato chip. Now, yeah, you've heard this one. I know you have. And so what she did was she took it and she wanted to make sure it didn't get broken. And so she put it on like a little pillow of sorts. And then she put some candles around it and she put it up on a dresser somewhere. And she was inviting people into her home to see this potato chip. Okay, you guys have heard this, right? This is not the first time. In fact, I have a picture of a couple of others like this. Uh, the first one here, let's throw it up. Uh, Jesus and toast. Now, I've actually heard you can uh, buy a toaster that will put pictures in it, uh, so I'm not sure that that one's totally legit. Let's look at the next one. Uh, Jesus in an ultrasound. So uh, there's one for you. Uh, my personal favorite, Banana Jesus. Um, there were a few others I wanted to show you, and I asked myself, WWAD, what would Alex do? And then I thought, nope, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, no matter what that answer is. And so uh, we look at these people, right, and these stories, and we have a tendency to judge them as a little bit crazy. And why? Because are they really worshiping this inanimate object, this potato chip? No. I mean, ultimately, I think that you guys could agree that while it's not the right method, probably what they're trying to do is just connect with God. They're just trying to find a way to get closer to him. And I think you would also agree that all of us in this room, whether you're a Christian or you're not, you're just here and you're still checking things out, you're probably here because you wanna be closer to God. You wanna connect with God. And in the story I want to share with you today, the same thing was happening. This is a story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus was with his disciples, but he separates from them because he's tired. He wants to get something to drink. And so he meets the woman there. She's going to get some water. And they start chatting it up. And very soon in the conversation, she realizes that he must be a great prophet, and so she wants to ask him a question. You see, the Samaritans, they were trying to connect with God. They felt like that they were the rightful heirs to Abraham. And the Jews, they felt like they were the rightful heirs to Abraham. But the, here's the deal. They didn't get along because they both thought they were the heirs. And so the Jews wouldn't let the Samaritans worship in Jerusalem. 
So they did what only they could do, and they created a space or a temple, a mountain in a Samaria where they could go and worship. And so as she's having this conversation with him, she says, okay, this guy just got done reading my mail. He's a Jewish prophet. I'm going to ask him which one of us is right. And I know what he's going to say has to be the right answer because he knew all this stuff about me. So she asked him that question. You guys worship there. We worship here. Who's right? And here's what Jesus says to her in uh, verse 23. It says this, believe me. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father here or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know so little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming and is already here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such people who will worship him in that way. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, so a little context. You heard David refer to it. Pastor's been talking to us about this temple or this space that was created where God dwells. And in the Bible, the place of worship was really significant. I mean, we even talked about, don't you remember how we got our name, right? Because back then, wherever it was, it was the church at, the church at Ephesus, the church at Corinth. But here's what Jesus is saying, because he already knows what's going to happen after his death. He's saying that when I come and when I die for your sins, you're going to be restored. And suddenly the place where my presence dwells is no longer going to be a location. It's no longer going to be a tent. It's no longer going to be a mountain because I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to dwell inside of each one of you who call me Lord. You know, it's kind of why I like the fact that we're called the church. It's because the place where God dwells is no longer a location. It's within us. You know, knowing Jesus knew that here and that God would dwell within us, I want to ask this question. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? Let's start with spirit. Verse uh, 24 gives us a little bit of a hint. It says that God is spirit. Okay, so the spirit is God. Now, uh, we talk a lot about using Christianese around here. So have you ever heard someone use the Christianese phrase, I need to feed my spirit? Yeah? Okay, not something you want to say to somebody that's not a believer. You might freak them out, but it is a very true statement. It's important that we feed our spirit, that we feed our relationship with God. And he lives inside of us. So it's important that we read the word. It's important that we're praying with him. I mean, and we do this in all of our relationships, right? We do this with the people that we love and care about. We spend time with them so that we can grow stronger together, okay? So we've talked a lot about that today already, about feeding our spirit and growing in our relationship with God. Now, when we're growing in our relationship with God, we can truly hear from him. We can truly worship. And so... When this passage mentions worshiping in spirit, it's simply referring to what's inside of us, our emotions or our feelings towards God. So you could say to worship in spirit is to worship out of the overflow of your heart, out of what you're feeling towards God. Now listen, feeding in his spirit is an important part of worship. 
Matthew and Mark's Gospels both have an account where Jesus talks to his disciples and he teaches them that what comes out of us really matters. It defines us. So if worshiping God in spirit is to worship out of the overflow of your heart, then how can we hold that back? I mean, how can we not make that known? Expression is such an important part of worship. I mean, what you feel about God, it must be expressed. We must make that known. I mean, those of you that are married, you remember when you first started dating the one that you would marry, and you were so in love, you couldn't help but contain it. I think I remember my mom saying, there's a glow about you. Psalms 51.15 says this, Oh, Lord, open my lips that I may declare your praise. When we worship in spirit, it comes from this place inside, and it's because we've come face-to-face with God. We've come face-to-face with who he is and what he's done. We've experienced the power of God, and our spirits are filled with awe and wonder and gratitude, and it leads to bended knees, and it leads to surrender, and it leads to worship, an expression we feel towards God that cannot be contained. You know, all throughout the Bible, you see uh, different forms of worship. So we see the wise men. They come to visit baby Jesus, and they bring him an offering of gifts. You remember the woman who broke her alabaster box on the feet of Jesus and wiped it with her hair. Uh, One of my favorite forms of worship comes out of Psalms. It says, be still and just know that I am God. Paul told Timothy that I want men everywhere to raise their holy hands in prayer. And perhaps one of the most favorite uh, uh, Bible uh, stories of worship comes from David, and some people speculate that David danced before the Lord naked. Now, whether you believe that or not, let's say it was undignified at the very least, because David was a king, he was dancing among the commoners in his undergarments, okay? So listen, he did not think that one through. That just happened out of the overflow of his heart. I mean, nobody thinks that through and then does it anyway. You know what I'm saying? That is just an expression that he couldn't contain. Now, I'm not saying or suggesting how you should worship or suggesting that any of you are doing it wrong. That's not where I'm going with this, okay? No one's doing it wrong if you don't go all David on us, okay? (laughs) Please. But I'm saying this. The mode in which we worship is less important to God than the fact that we're worshiping him in spirit, okay? The next part of our verse says that we need to worship him in truth. So let's talk about what that means. To worship God in truth simply means this, to worship him with authenticity. A specific time, a specific place, a specific mode, it's no longer required. But it, what is required is humility and honesty before God. I think that some of the most unmeaningful, cold worship, I think it's possible, could happen in churches across America every single week. And I think it's also possible that some of the most meaningful worship takes place in places that we would never guess. About 
13 years ago or so, I was singing on our worship team, and some of the gentlemen that uh, played in the band, they were part of a prison ministry, and they invited me uh, one weekend to go with them to lead worship and have a service for the prisoners. Uh, I was very excited and nervous at the same time, and I remember standing up there. We had set all of the instruments up, and the uh, prisoners started walking out, and uh, the, the, the guitar player at the time, he, he stroke up the uh, first note, and my voice opened to sing the, the first line, and the prisoners on the front row just like blew me away with their volume and their gusto when they were singing. And, and I remember this white-haired gentleman, a long white hair and a long white beard. I remember how rough his hands were, and I know he had had a hard life. And he was just singing and praising with everything he had. And I remember thinking, how awesome. And I don't think I realized it at the time. I think the further along I've gotten in my life, God has showed me that the reason he was probably able to worship in that way is because he was worshiping from a place of brokenness. He was worshiping from a place where he got real with God. He had come to the end of himself. There was nothing left. And he had to be honest before the Lord. He had to humble himself before the Lord. And I'm thinking, man, how beautiful is that? How honest and pure and real is that? It was unfortunate, maybe, or fortunately, however you might see it. But this is what we're talking about when we say authenticity. It's just real. God knows anyway. You know, pastor's been talking all summer long about how he's been praying for revival in our church, about how the next generation, we could see this happen with them. And, and I think we're already seeing it happen. In fact, last week alone, we had like 53 decisions that came from our next-gen ministries. Is that not awesome? I mean, God is working. Yeah, that's definitely worthy of praise and clap. Absolutely. I mean, you guys, that is a huge deal. God is doing something there. And you know what I think? I think that if we allow ourselves to become true worshipers, we could see that happen in our rooms too. Worship isn't confined to a place, a time, or a mode. Worship is our life. Romans 12, 1 says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship happens when we live out what we say we believe. Worship happens when we share our faith with someone. Worship happens when we make the choice to say no to seeing something in our minds that we know is bad for us. Worship happens when we say no to things that we know are bad for our heart. Worship happens when we use all the strength that we have to keep going on, even when the easy thing to do would be to quit. I think that's why Jesus told us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. It takes everything we've got. And listen, when we become true worshipers, because I believe that when we're using every part of us, when it's our life, that's when we become true worshipers. 
And I believe if we would lean into this, we would see that type of revival happening, not only in our rooms here, across all of our campuses, but in our community. Would you stand with me? I want to read you the last part of verse 23. It says this. The Father is seeking such people who will worship him in this way. He's looking. He's ready. He's waiting for us to become true worshipers. Ball's already in our court. So let me ask you, why not start now? Why not start now trying to focus on making your life lived in such a way that you become a true worshiper of God? Why not import the truth of his word, import the truth through your prayer and your communication and your surrender and your trust in him? Let's resolve to worship him. Let's decide right now. Would you ask him wherever you're at today? Would you ask him to meet you where you are? He break down any barriers that might be in the way of you being able to truly worship him. I mean, we've all got barriers. We've all got walls. I got them. <laughs> Every day I have to say to God, God, please break down the walls that I have the walls of not being good enough, the walls of trying to be good enough, the walls of feeling like I can't go on sometimes. We've all got walls. Even in our story today, there was a wall between the Samaritan woman and Jesus because they had this barrier of who could worship God the right way. And Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus is our peace and our bond of unity. And he who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one body broke down the barrier, the dividing wall of spiritual antagonism between us. He did that. Jesus did that. He broke down that wall. And he can break your walls down too. The walls that might be inside of you when you worship. So right now, as we begin to sing, would you let Seth sing these words over to you? And would you pray and ask God to break down any barriers that are standing in the way of you becoming a true worshiper? Spirit, break out. i 
fun before we get out of here. Does that sound okay? You guys have been sitting for a little while. You look a little sleepy out there. Everybody sleepy? No? Okay. All right. Let's go for it. We're going to worship today. Ashley was talking about where the spirit of the Lord is, that there is freedom. So today we're going to sing this song called Freedom. And what I want to encourage you today is with what Ashley shared, all the truth that she shared today about us maybe just taking a step out a little bit further. We don't want you to be like David. We want you to keep all your clothes on. Your neighbor doesn't want to see that, I promise you. But today, as we worship, maybe you never clapped your hands during worship. Maybe you should clap. Maybe you've never raised a hand in worship. Maybe you should raise a hand. Maybe you're like me and you move too much. You might need to just be still. And so today, as we worship, let's put into practice a little bit of what we've talked about. Can we do that? Let's go. Your blood and my 
we're so glad that you're here today. You survived the earthquake, number one, and you're here on Labor Day, so we know who the real Christians are. But we're so glad that you're here today, and we are super excited about a new series that we're kicking off next Sunday called Blessings. Check out the video. A blessed parent is like an archer with a full quiver, and their child an arrow. You will profoundly affect their future. You have the potential to direct them in the way they should go. As you pull back and release, may they stay the course, may you give them your blessing. Y'all, it is going to be an awesome series. You do not want to miss it. We want to say thank you so much for joining us. And if anybody made a decision today or if you need prayer, we want to make sure when you exit that you can go to the pastor's reception and get prayer. Thank you so much for joining us. Y'all have a great Labor Day.